rest of you, if you've got your Bibles, you're going to join us, those of us who were at the marriage one this weekend, and uh, turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, and let's stand as we read this passage on wives and husbands in Ephesians chapter 5. We've had a great time this weekend. We've been looking at what God's Word has to say about marriage oneness. And for those of you who aren't married, there's uh, some good encouragement, advice, some edification. And for everybody who's a part of the church, there's something that's being illustrated about the church. So there's something for every one of us in this passage. Now, in our, those of us who were in the study, uh, you realize that we kind of skipped session seven. So if you brought your workbook, feel free, pull that out, follow along. I'm going to help you uh, do what some of you, I told you, wouldn't be able to sleep until you did, and that's fill in those blanks. Uh, we're going to get your blanks filled in uh, this morning. Uh, but the rest of us, let's start with verse 22 in Ephesians chapter 5. And I'll tell you what, to get it in context, because a lot of times, I'll just be honest with you, uh, men who perhaps don't understand what this passage is talking about love to just start and stop with verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And they'll elbow their wife and say, you heard that, didn't you, baby? Um, Fellas, let's look back one verse. A text without a context is a pretext, my mentor said. So we want to know the context. The context has been about the Christian life, consistency, faithfulness, Christ-likeness. And so it's interesting, verse 21 sets the attitude for the rest of it. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. When you get to a place in your life where you say, Jesus others and yourself. J-O-I, right? Jesus, others, yourself. But Jesus first, others second, yourself last. So there's that that, that spirit of putting others first. And in that context, in that place where you're seeking to honor others first, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, this is where most men need to start. (laughs) Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. It's been said millions of times, if, uh, if a man will love his wife this way, she will have no problem following his spiritual leadership. And then it goes on to describe what Christ did for the church and the husband is to do for the wife, to make her holy, cleansing her in the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does the church. Since we are members of his body for this reason. Didn't Jesus quote this last week? Now Paul's quoting it. We looked at what Christ said last week. Now let's look at what Paul said. Same verse, same context. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That leaving and cleaving and weaving, this mystery is profound, verse 32 says, but I am talking about Christ in the church. To sum up, each of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Father, we thank you for this great summary. Help us to understand it. Help us to live it, that our marriages might be that little picture of the big picture, showing the world uh, the love of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. So I'm going to go ahead right, right away and kind of make apologies 
uh, this outline, and I'm one of those pastors, I'll just uh, be honest with you, it bothers me sometimes when pastors pull their messages from the internet, maybe it's a Saturday night special or whatever, they heard another great preacher that they thought preached a powerful message, so they write down that outline and use it. Um, If I don't let it kind of cook in me a little bit, if I haven't studied the passage for myself, and, and and another confession here, I have a little bit of sanctified pride sometimes, and I think I can develop a better outline than that, but obviously we rely on the Holy Spirit to speak to us concerning what the body needs to hear. But this is part of our study, so I'm going to adapt the study into this message. And so I want to give credit to whom credit is due. Tim Lundy is responsible for much of the outline that you will be hearing this morning. And I've asked the Spirit of God to kind of instruct me on how to apply that to the the folks here at Trinity. But it's going to conclude our marriage one this weekend. And all of you who weren't a part of it, you get to be a part of it this morning. And I hope that it is a blessing to you. Uh, Do you remember your wedding, for those of you who got married. Uh, Yesterday, the question was asked in our little newlywed game that gave us a, uh, well, I'll let these folks tell you about that later. I don't want to tell on too many people, but but we heard some feedback on what could have gone wrong at a wedding. And you remember your wedding. Did anything go wrong on your wedding day? Tina and I bounced around a few ideas. We thought, well, things went pretty well. Uh, Some things went close to going wrong. Some things might have frustrated, but our wedding really went well. But I remember doing some weddings that some things went wrong. And one that I remember in particular was back in the 90s down at, uh, actually it was Tina's sister's wedding, and it was down at a, a place called Orton Plantation there in Wilmington, or just south of, of Wilmington, between Wilmington and Southport, North Carolina. Orton Plantation is a popular place for weddings because there is a beautiful chapel right there. I've done two weddings in that chapel there at Orton Plantation. Beautiful chapel right there at the plantation. If you saw the movie, A Walk to Remember, with uh, Mandy Moore. She gets married at the end of the movie in that chapel there at Orton Plantation. It's a beautiful setting. Everything was perfect. Everyone was beautiful. Everything was in order. This is going to be a great wedding. And I'm kind of out back over there with the groom and his groomsmen. And it's time for us to make our way to the chapel. And this groom was a little nervous. He was nervous about standing in front of people, nervous about the whole wedding thing. And, and, And on the way to the chapel, and by the way, I need to add something. He is terrified of snakes, petrified of snakes. And out of all of us men who were making our way over to the chapel, guess which one stepped on a snake? It was the groom. I thought I had lost him before the wedding even started. He, next thing I know, he, he, he's panicking. He, he yells, the snake takes off. He's hyperventilating. And I'm like, dude, you got to get married. you got to recover. we got to get... <laughs> What else could have gone wrong? What, what could have made things difficult for your wedding? You remember your wedding day. It's amazing how we don't want anything to go wrong. All the planning, all the organizing goes into a wedding. As a matter of fact, so much planning and organizing goes into it that sometimes when I'm doing premarital counseling and I talk about managing conflict in your marriage and I say, look, sometimes the biggest conflict is just working between the bride and her mother before the wedding even gets here. I remember one particular story of a a mom who told her daughter, as a daughter finally just looked at her mom and said, would you butt out? It's my wedding. And the mom said, no, it's not your wedding. It's my wedding. She said, I had my mother's wedding. You're going to have my wedding. And if you want to have a wedding of your own, you have a little girl and she can have your wedding one day. And so sometimes there's kind of conflicts of organization, planning. We've got to get it all together. The wedding has to go off. Right place, right time, right people. Uh, 
a lot of times the groom just kind of escapes all that, and he just says, baby, you plan a wedding, I'll take care of the honeymoon, because that's all he's thinking about anyway. I'm going to plan the honeymoon. I'm going to plan the getaway. I'm going to plan what we're going to do after the wedding for the next week, and, and, and you take care of the wedding. Lots of money being spent, lots of planning going into the wedding and the honeymoon, but how much time is spent on organizing and planning the marriage? How much time do we spend after we get married organizing and planning our marriage? Let me ask you some questions. Can you articulate the roles and responsibilities in your marriage? You know, you, you knew who had to be responsible for everything for the wedding, right? Well, the bride's family, the groom's family, the bride, the groom, the groomsmen, the bridesmaids, everybody's got their responsibilities. We're going to lay it all out. We've got to have everything go perfect for the wedding, so we're going to have it all organized. But for the marriage, do we know who's responsible? Do we know who has what roles, what responsibilities? Do you agree on them? As a husband and wife, have you come to a place where you, you, you've agreed beforehand? Oh, no, we were busy planning the wedding, that we forgot to plan the marriage. Are you committed to fulfilling those roles and responsibilities for the rest of your life? And, and so the Bible speaks of complementary roles for husbands and wives that, that they're to assume in, in marriage. These roles are bringing to us various differences by God's design and God's purpose. Uh, a group of people were asked the question, uh, who's the most important leader when it comes to uh, a cruise ship? And everybody was answering, well, the uh, most important, well, the captain of the ship, that's the most important leader, or, or the one who's in charge of keeping all of the passengers happy. They're the most important. And, and we're arguing over the different, well, which leader has the most important roles and and responsibilities. And, and someone asked them why no one ever said the one who designed the ship was the most important. I mean, if that ship's going to stay afloat and it's going to get you to where you're going, the person who designed the ship, they're probably pretty important, right? When we look at marriage, sometimes we, we start arguing about roles and responsibilities and we don't say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is the designer of marriage. Marriage we saw last week in Genesis was God's idea wasn't our idea. God designed the family before he created a nation called Israel, before he created an organization called the church. God designed the marriage. So let's ask God to show us in scriptures how he designed it. First of all, we see in this passage that the husband's role is, is one of leadership. The husband's role is one of leadership. Look at verse 23. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, a lot of times women will resent the headship, and often men have asked for that resentment. Husband take leadership, and rather, looking at the model Christ has set, men become abusive, men become manipulative. They forget that his role charges him to do something, and we see this in the text. His role charges him to love and sacrifice for his wife. Look again at the verse. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as also Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do for the church? He gave himself for the church. Headship is not power Headship is not domination and tyranny. Headship is love and sacrifice. It is Christ-likeness. So he is, as a leader, as a man is to be a spiritual leader in his home, he is to provide Christ-like love and sacrifice in that context. And when 
the family receives Christ-like love and sacrifice, there's no resentment. When there's tyranny and domination and manipulation, then there is resentment. And so he's provide love and sacrifice. Secondly, we see that he's to lead and protect his wife with God's Word. We're to lead as Christ led. What did Christ do to make her holy? Cleansing her in the washing of the water, verse 26, in the Word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. There's a leading with the Word of God. We, we saw yesterday in our, in our study in the seminar that uh, that's why there's such a strong indictment in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And a lot of times men miss that the indictment's on them. They try to put the blame on the woman. Didn't Adam do that in the garden? I mean, what did he say? That woman, Miss Lewinsky? No, he said that woman, Eve. Um, some of you remember the story from the 90s. We always want to blame. A man wants to blame somebody else. It's that woman's fault. It's her fault. Blame her. Adam wanted to blame her. And so when Paul is describing to Timothy, actually he's talking about leadership roles in the church. And he says, so I permit not a woman to have spiritual authority, be in a place of the teaching pastor in the church. A place of the spiritual authority over, and it specifically says, over men in the church. And you say, well, why would Paul tell Timothy that? Maybe it was because of the culture. It was culturally unacceptable at that time. Wait a minute. When did Paul or Jesus ever worry about what was culturally acceptable? They never compromised truth to please the culture. And so you continue on and read in that passage, and he Talks about the man created first, not the woman. And then he says this, and this is where men mess up. This is where men try to blame the woman. It says, and the woman was deceived and not the man. And so the men say, uh-huh, baby, see that? Women are gullible. Women are vulnerable. The woman was deceived and not the man. And so the indictment's on the woman, right? Wrong. The indictment was on the man. You have to go back and you have to take it out of the context. What was the context? Genesis, God created Adam. God gave Adam some roles and responsibilities from the moment of creation. And he said, Adam, you're not to eat from this tree. When did God say that? It was day six, but it was before Eve was created. Go back and read it. Before Eve was created, he said, you're not to eat from this tree. Here's some roles. Here's some responsibilities. Ephesians 5, we're supposed to lead with the Word of God. He had the Word of God. See, see, the woman was deceived. She wasn't created. She had to depend on what Adam had told her that God said at that point. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that women can't go to the Lord. God can speak straight to women just like He can speak straight to men. But Adam had a responsibility he neglected. Eve was deceived. She was tricked by the serpent. Adam was not deceived. That means he, here's the word we don't like, man, he rebelled. Adam was not deceived. He had the Word. It was no trick for Adam. He rebelled. He did exactly what he knew that God had told him directly not to do. She was deceived. She was tricked. He wasn't tricked. He rebelled. And so when we get into the New Testament and you read in Romans and 1 Corinthians who God holds responsible for the fall of man, it's not Eve, it's Adam. For in Adam all sin. And Christ is the second Adam who redeems and restores. And he says, I want to get back to that picture that I created in the garden and the responsibility of the man leading and protecting his wife. And so that's when he establishes the home and he says, men, you've got to be the head. You've got to be the spiritual leader. And his whole uh, message there to Timothy about how that spills over in the church, he says, don't reverse roles when you get to church. 
Be a man. Be responsible. Be the leader that God's called you to be. Don't be rebellious. Be loving. Be sacrificing. And step up to the plate and provide the leadership that God's called you to lead. Adam failed. Jesus did not. Jesus is our model, not Adam. And so marriage becomes a picture of Christ and His church. The love that Christ has for the church, the way the church responds to Christ, and then not only should He lead and protect His wife with God's Word, He is to provide for His wife freedom and security. To provide for His wife freedom and security. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 says that men who are not providing that, Men who are not providing and protecting their wife, they're, they're not uh, providing in a way that's taking care of his family. It says that th- these men are denying the faith. You, you have it on the screen here. But anyone, this is New American Standard, but anyone who does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so he is... We see it in, in Ephesians 5. We see it throughout the Scripture. He is to be one who provides for his wife's freedom and for her security. Now, we're talking about noble living in a needy world. And we were going all the way through Matthew's Gospel, got to the same subject matter, and we see the same responsibility again and again. Men are supposed to model a little picture of the big picture, Christ and his love for his church, that he was willing to lay down his life. That's why it's so appropriate that we partake of the Lord's Supper today, we're being reminded that Christ laid down His life for the church. And a lot of times the reason that women will resent the leadership men are providing is because it's not loving, it's not sacrificial. It's tyranny and it's manipulation. Now the wife has a role as well. The description here is the role of a helper. The wife's role is one of a helper. The Bible calls her helper all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Where God looks at Adam, again, it's on day 6, and He says it's not good that man dwell alone. He's given him his word, He's given him his instructions, his directions, his responsibilities, and He says, oh, but you can't do this alone, Adam. Well, is there a man here who would say amen? Amen. It's not good for men to be alone. Adam had looked, there were two of all the other kinds, where's one for me? It's not good man be alone, Genesis 2.18. I will create a helper, a helpmate, another of the same kind but different. Interestingly, it's that same word. Maybe there are some ladies here. You know, Men shy away from that word sacrifice. Oh, I don't want you to tell me that word sacrifice. Ladies may, may, may shy away from the word submission or, or, or the word helper, and they say, I don't want to just be his helper. Let me encourage you, the word helper is the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I'm not saying you're always going to be the Holy Spirit in his life. If he's going to have any conviction, I better make sure he gets it from me. Now, I'm not saying, uh, what I'm saying is don't belittle the terminology because the same terminology is used to describe the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. And and so the, the woman is called to be the helper. She is charged to love and support her husband. Titus chapter 2 and verse 4 says, uh, Paul's telling Titus, encourage the young women to love their husbands. And so she is to love and support her husband. And then she is to energize her husband with respect. When all of this that we see about her responding to her husband, and, and maybe we don't like the word submission so much, and he says, let me summarize, let me explain what all this means. 
He says in verse 33, to sum up, each one is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Biblical submission applied is is respect. And men, if they're living in a Christ-like way, loving their wives as Christ loved the church, they will uh, enlist that respect from them without having to demand it. And so, again, the, the word helper, don't shy away from that. It's used to describe the Holy Spirit. The word submission, say, well, I don't like that word. Recently heard somebody say it, it, at my wedding, that word will not be in our vows, I guarantee you. And I thought, that's interesting, because if we want to be Christ-like, and men can't embrace sacrifice, they can't be Christ-like. But consider this, ladies. Philippians chapter 2 says, let this mind or this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to describe what he did. It says he submitted himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Within the Godhead, God the Son, co-equal with God the Father, just as the Spirit is co-equal with the Son and the Father. Within the Godhead, God the Son submitted to God the Father and became obedient even to the point of death, giving his life on a cross. So the word submission is not a dirty word. It is a word that pictures what even our Lord Jesus Christ did. See, men and women are equal. We're all created in the image of God. God created them in His image. Going back to Genesis 1, male and female, He created them in His image. But we reflect His image in different ways. And the world's trying to say men and women aren't different. We are different. We're told over and over and over again, in the Scriptures, to live and enjoy the differences. That's why marriage, even to this day, according to God's standard, is between a man and a woman. We're different. We're complementary. He's bringing us together. And and we reflect Christ in in different ways. But we all reflect Christ. So a woman can energize her husband with the respect then strive to make a good home to encourage him. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 27 and 28, she looks well to the ways of her household. And it says her husband praises her. And so she's understanding, you know, that my first responsibility is, is to look after my husband and my household. And in that context, her husband praises her because he's trying to do his responsibility to free her up to do that. Now I know that Proverbs... 31 describes her as one who's making business decisions. She's supplementing the income, and I've always tried to be one who's not legalistic in that area. As you know, my wife works outside the home. But one thing that I want those that she works with and for to understand is that her number one loyalty is not to them, it's to her husband and to her family. That's where her first responsibility is. It was important for me, even though it wasn't, didn't seem like a good financial decision at the time, it was important for me to free her up when our kids were little and she said, hey, I want to be at home and I want to be in the house and with my kids. Okay, we'll make that happen. And then when she said, okay, I'm about to go crazy. I got the half-day preschool thing. We got to put one of them over there. Okay, we'll work to make that happen. You know, we'll, she has always been willing to supplement and encourage and help me in any way I can as a helper. But as a leader, I've always wanted to praise her and free her up to do what she believed God was calling her to do. And that's teamwork. We're working together. And so I've got a responsibility as husband to praise her, where it says her husband praises her. 
and I praise her because of the respect and the love and the attention that she gives me and our kids, our family, the, the commitment to the call that God has on our life. We work together as a team in that process. We're not battling for territory, battling for ground. We are what we discussed all weekend, one, oneness, one flesh together in this. And these roles, number three, these roles work better in a marriage where both husband and wife are yielded to Jesus Christ. I will take this a step further. I don't believe these roles work at all outside of relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't think you can make it happen. All you can do is make somebody miserable. Try and, you try to get a man to live out these roles and responsibilities without the Spirit of God and the help of Jesus Christ, he can't do it. He can't love that way. You try to get a woman to live out these roles and these responsibilities without the Spirit of God, the motivation of the love of Christ in her life, she can't do it. It's beyond possible. But with God, all things are possible. And in that context, we think of uh, John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. You don't have to turn there, but listen to these words, John 15. Jesus said, remain in me. Some translations say, abide in me. And I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. You want a fruitful marriage? Men, don't try to convince your wife that they need to submit more. Ladies, don't try to convince your husband he needs to sacrifice more. You want a fruitful marriage. Both of you determine on your own, we want to abide in Christ. Both of you determine on, we want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than we were today. And if we'll determine that, that we're going to abide in Christ and be more like Jesus tomorrow than we were today, then all of the other things will take care of itself. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of us and does in and through us what we could never do on our own. Romans 8, 4 says the righteous requirements of the law, in case you can't memorize all the righteous requirements of the law, are fully met in us who walk in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. So when the Spirit of God is empowering us to do what the Word of God is calling us to do, and we've made that a priority, Jesus is number one in our life, that's why we're not neglecting our quiet time. That's why we're not neglecting prayer. That's why we're not neglecting corporate worship together with one another where we can be under the, the Word of God together. It's why we're plugged into a small group studying the Bible together. That's helping us to grow in that grace. Without Jesus, a husband will often lead selfishly and irresponsibly. Without Jesus, a husband will often lead selfishly and irresponsibly. Without Jesus, a wife will often undermine her husband's leadership. Undermine her husband's leadership. She will discourage and manipulate. Jesus is the key to proper role play. For us, understanding how we're reflecting His character and His nature and how we love and serve and sacrifice and submit, both of us even submitting together in the fear of God. You're both created in His image. You're both equally valuable to the kingdom. You both have responsibilities. Remember, marriage is a little picture. We saw it last week. The leaving, the cleaving, the weaving. Marriage is a little picture of the big picture. Marriage has always been the picture of God's covenant relationship. Under the old covenant, God was married to Israel. And 
the husband was to be a picture of God and the bride was to be a picture of Israel in that covenant relationship. In the New Testament, the husband is to picture Jesus Christ and the bride is to picture the bride of Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ. So your marriage, my marriage, should be a little picture of the big picture showing the love, the service, the sacrifice of how we come together for the glory of God. For those of you who are at the conference, you've got one more page. I think all of us can apply this insight. So I'm going to let you fill in these blanks, and and we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. Beyond roles, let me say this, beyond those roles and responsibilities, the Bible is mostly silent when it comes to dividing up marriage responsibilities. These biblical roles and, and, and responsibilities, spiritual roles and responsibilities are very clear, but beyond that, the Bible is silent in a lot of areas. You might say, well, then, then what happens? If the Bible's giving me that kind of freedom, what, what do we do? And here, here's some good advice, just application of, of Christ-likeness. As a couple, make a list of all the work required to manage your home well. Make a list. You'll have time, and, 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 and we're going to encourage those who participate in the conference to take time to do this, make this list. Hey, we're created different, and that's okay. There are some homes, you know, I, I grew up in a home where I thought, well, you know, mom's in charge for the inside of the house, dad takes care of the outside of the house. I, you know, I don't remember too often my mom pushing a push more around the house or anything. Just didn't say. But in some places, I mean, the wife can cut grass better than the husband, and that's okay. Talk and, and work through those responsibilities. Discuss who does what what tasks the the best, and who enjoys certain tasks, then match these with one another. Whatever division of tasks you finally end up with, each of you should feel the division of responsibilities is fair and balanced. But by the way, fair does not mean 50-50. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. Each one giving 100%. To the marriage. Then set agreed upon standards for each responsibility. Be realistic. Don't be perfectionistic about those standards. Don't make someone so miserable that they don't even want to try to do anything. Consider the season of life you are in. Some standards have to flex for a time. For example, if you've got a bunch of little ones in the house, it's okay if company comes over and the house isn't perfect. That's the season of life you're in. Just relax and enjoy that season of life. If, if you get a stranger has to ride with you in your car and they're, they're, they're sitting, you have to rake the Cheerios out of the seat, that's okay. That's the season of life you're in. We get all upset about the little things. There are seasons of life. We saw this past weekend, or, or this weekend, we saw that there's, there's kind of seasons of life where uh, when their children are small that they're physically demanding. And then they get into those elementary years and they're not so physically demanding and, and, and you kind of have an a upswing and you're like, this is great. And then the teenage years come and they're not physically demanding anymore. They can fend for themselves except they become emotionally draining. And then they get out of the teenage years. So you go through seasons of life. Work through that together. Prepare for that together. Always be willing to Step in and help your mate with his or her responsibilities when necessary. My wife has 
pretty much all the time, because I, I, I just kind of mess it up every time I try, I pretty much all the time manage our checkbook. Now, I praise her when she does that. It's not her responsibility to provide and make sure the numbers are all, all match up. But, but she's pretty much done that. And, and one of the wonderful things, and I know some of us fear doing this, but one of the wonderful things about paying bills online and all of that now is we both can just open up our computer and kind of look at the accounts together and help one another. And she can send me a text reminder, can you go online and pay this bill? Absolutely. Or sometimes, no, I can't. <laughs> can you go online and pay this bill? Can we knock this out? Work together on that. Share those. Look together. Be on the same team. And never forget to express appreciation for what your spouse is doing. Positive feedback is contagious. Offer it often. Appreciation is an emotional connection that fuels marriage oneness. It's all the little picture of the big picture. Our marriage reflecting God's glory in this world. Would you bow your heads with me right now?